Hi, I'm Leisha Nelson, and you are listening to the Nurturing Resilience Podcast, where I weave together the worlds of somatics, science, and energetics to nurture a deeper connection to yourself. This is a podcast that covers a span of topics and ideas from guests storytelling rites of passage that catalyzed their resiliency, to nervous system and mind-body health education, to deep contemplation on topics such as cultivating connection to ourselves and others in a complex world. I can't wait to dive in to each episode with you. Thank you so much for joining me. Welcome to the Nurturing Resilience Podcast. I am your host, Leisha Nelson, and I am really excited to have you here for today's episode. Today, my guest is Cami Talbot. Cami Talbot is a professional freelance makeup artist and writer. With over 14 years in the cosmetic industry, working with models, athletes, celebrities, and actors, she has the unique opportunity of witnessing firsthand the beauty, fitness, film, and wellness industry from a different perspective than most. In today's episode, she shares some intimate interactions within her career, her own studies of the beauty industry and their marketing tactics, and how she found healing through embodiment. That all the answers she ever wanted were found from the very thing she was disconnected the most, her body. She brings a beautiful light to the humanness and inner critic that lives within all of us, including those we idolize. I really appreciate my conversation with Cami and the unique perspective she does bring. We talk a lot about her own healing journey, which included navigating through an eating disorder and how disconnected she was from her own body and what her journey was like reconnecting to her body while also being immersed in an industry that is all based on looks. This is a topic I'm really fascinated about in how women are inundated every day with quote unquote, how we are supposed to look, how we are supposed to be. And this is something I'm personally navigating in myself as I start to enter my midlife and my youth starts to fade. Really this almost an idolization of looking young and looking beautiful and having quote unquote the perfect body shape and how much stress that actually creates for women in her book, and I talk about this within the podcast, Burnout by Emily Nagowski, she really approaches this topic in that there is so much pressure on women today to look a certain way and be a certain shape that it's leading to burnout. Our bodies cannot maintain the idealism and the pressure and the perfectionism that is projected upon women. And this conversation with Cammie goes into her own story about that. I share a little bit about my own body dysmorphia and my journey through that. And then we dive into the process of what it means to to heal 
And really that there is no place that you arrive to, like the healing journey doesn't mean that suddenly you're healed or you arrived. We really talk about how it's layers of an onion and sometimes we don't have the capacity to work on our healing process or be embodied. Sometimes we do have the capacity and it's all a journey with no ending. It's ever evolving. And that's what I love about this conversation with Cami is that we really dive into the idea of where we are now is okay and how to be okay with where we are now and create some self-compassion while also being interested in diving deeper into the deeper layers to really arrive home to ourselves. I will share all of Cami's information in the show notes below so that you can connect with her. She's a beautiful poet and writer and just a joy, a joy to be around, a joy to have on the podcast. As a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it on your own social media platform with your friends, with your loved ones, and consider writing me a review or follow me along on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy today's episode or you're looking for deeper one-on-one work with me, my information is below in the show notes as well. I'm also starting to add some of these podcasts onto my YouTube page, so you can follow me there and find all the podcasts starting to be on YouTube, which is a really exciting thing for those of you that are more interested in that platform for listening. Okay, enough introduction. Let's meet Cami. So Cami, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I'm really excited to have you here and and we were chatting a little bit before and about how excited you were as well. <laughs> yes, I have been looking forward to this and um, I'm really honored to be part of your podcast and share a story. It's such an interesting thing. I always think about divine timing or the right time because I had invited you on some point last year and you were like, no, I'm not in that space. And then when we reconnected, you were like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. And I, I was surprised. I was like, oh, she's ready. Okay, let's, let's do this. And I'm really glad that we've waited because I think it's allowed both of us and especially you to get really clear on what it is you're here to share and your story and, and really talk about resiliency and trauma and somatics and bodies. Like I'm so excited where this conversation is going to go. Yeah, me too. Um, And I'm really glad I was able to listen to my body, actually, probably a year ago when you asked me and I could feel that kind of like pushing me to an edge that was like not ready to be pushed at or just not ready to devote fully um, to that. So it feels really potent and alive to share the story now. And it looped around just in the perfect time. Amazing. So something I haven't shared with you, but, um, I have a subtle connection to the makeup industry and what you do for work in that my grandma was the first woman to open up a makeup school here in Salt Lake city. 
And she would train women how to do their makeup so that they could be models and secretaries and get jobs as like the quote unquote beautiful woman in the 60s. And she trained models and she would take them to Europe and she opened a makeup and modeling school here in Salt Lake City. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Alicia, I cannot believe that you withheld this information from me. because this was something I was going to um, speak to called the um, PBQ, which was the professional beauty qualifications. And it was a real thing in the sixties where when you were applying for a job, there was um, truly qualifications, beauty qualifications. For a woman, how to look in order to work at an office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to share too much of my own history with you because I really wanted you to focus on your own story, but that's the overlap between us is that, you know, you will get into your story and your history, but working now as a makeup artist and the connection in my family line to my grandmother being a makeup artist and also the family history then that is in my family story of like how a woman is supposed to look like Mm -hmm. what beauty is. That was really, really a big deal in my family and what my family had to go through and process. So, wow. Which is so, um, speaks a lot to how much our stories, I think are generationally passed down to us and there's DNA science to back that up and just so much, um, there that, I think there's a level of compassion that I've really found in this topic of we were set up in so many ways to be disconnected from our bodies and to feel not enough and to feel like we will never reach this idea of beauty Um, because it's so embedded in our society, embedded in our, you know, previous ancestors. And so there's a lot of compassion to be held there. We're not, we're not crazy that we are like, why do we feel this way and constantly feel pressure? And, you know, it's, it's all around us all of the time. All of the time. And we can get into one of my favorite books too, that talks about this later, but I loved how you said that, you know, we're kind of conditioned and raised to be disconnected. And that's a lot of your story and your process of how, you essentially were really disconnected from your body. And that's the story I asked you to come on and share is um, this transition from disconnection to connection. So I think maybe the best place to start is your childhood a little bit, because that's where it all starts. Yeah, really though. Um, A message that I think I just want to share with the world is like how to be how to actually be associated with oneself and your own inner wisdom while living in a disassociated world mm-hmm. and like how we can lean into that. So I grew up in a really religious home. Um, I was in a strict Mormon background, raised in Utah. So the culture here is um, pretty intense, pretty black and white. I think that already set the stage for disassociation from my body. There's the idea how I took it um, being raised in that religion was 
my body didn't belong to myself. My body was, whether that belonged to God in some aspects or belonged to like a future husband, that was kind of what I think even set the tone. So there was never that even connection in my mind to it. There was never a goal. Like, how do I become connected to my body? Because it wasn't even available. Yeah, that makes sense. I've talked about this on my podcast before me also being raised Mormon. I stopped going to church at a very young age. Um, but just the, the concept that our bodies belong to a future husband. Um, it's really, it's bad to have sex. It's bad to have desire. It's bad to masturbate. It's bad to have pleasure. A lot of this black and white thinking, which then breeds a lot of that disconnection of like, Mm -hmm. because if we're not feeling pleasure or we're not understanding our desires or navigating these different topics, then we don't learn those things. And I, I know that not every religious household is the same. I know that there's a lot of variations. I also know that like watching my brother raise his children is really different than how and he's raising his children in the, in the LDS faith is really different than like how we were raised. And so there is progression happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. But I do find at the time when you were a child and when I was a child, it was definitely much more black and white thinking and, and to save your, save your body. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, and I love that you brought up the idea of when you say pleasure or desire, because in my experience of becoming more embodied, I think there's a, we have like sexuality clear on a spectrum, but then way before that we have like intimacy and sensate, like being embodied, but like a sensation of being embodied. So it might feel so good when I'm at a Pilates class really connecting into like what my quads are feeling like, or really connecting into a squat or whatever that sensation is. But I think I wasn't able to almost like now that I understand all of this on a level, I think someone could confuse connecting deeply with the inside of our body as something that's pleasurable or something that's like sexual or like does this turn you on and almost deem it as bad or put it in this one category where if anything, I think becoming embodied and really connecting with my body has just made anything physical that much more exciting, whether that is Pilates, whether that is sexual activity, whether that is intimacy, whatever it is, it's just made it that much my life feel that much more alive. Yeah. And I don't know if you experienced this, like I had that conditioning of, you know, sex is bad. Pleasure is bad. Masturbation's bad. And then I got married at a really young age and all of a sudden I'm supposed to be this like very sexual being that's supposed to be producing lots of babies and children. And my body couldn't do that pendulum swing. I actually had some, some issues because I literally went from being told this is bad to, oh, now this is good and you shouldn't enjoy it. And that whole mm-hmm. disconnection 
kept me disconnected because actually sex wasn't pleasurable when I first got married. It was actually very painful because Mm -hmm. I know now it was my body's way of saying like, wait a minute, you've got some trauma and you've got some issues you need to work through here. But instead being in my twenties, going the medical route, getting on, you know, I don't think I was ever put on antibiotics, but just like different ointments and creams and just being like people telling me you're fine go home and have like, go home and have sex, go have babies, go make babies. You're good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And continuing to reinforce that disconnection from my body. Yes. And that's what's, um, which later I'll talk about with my story and my body. Um, but when I, I was diagnosed with pre-diabetes at the age of 21. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, Looking back, I really believe majority of that was probably caused from um, having a pretty active eating disorder from the age of like 17 to 20 and what roller coaster I was putting my insulin and my body through. But even within that, I still remember going that medical route, finding out I was pre-diabetic and there was still no like, well, let's, you know, let's find out why this is happening or what's the under what what's the root cause of this um and i still remember which blows my mind i was um in the doctor appointment and the doctor said well just switch your sodas to diet sodas and gave me like the classic triangle of like you know have the most whole grains and go smaller up to the top and get like sugar free candy i mean I was like, I'm not eating any of this. I'm not a soda drinker to begin with. There is no diet soda for me to switch to. But just recognizing that like, that was what I was told. And if I would have listened to that, would at at this point, I would be probably full-blown type 2 diabetes if I would have listened to that. Um, but I'm actually really proud to say after 10 years of being pre-diabetic, I am now healed and I have a normal blood sugar. So yay. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yay. Good for you. Oh my gosh. Go to diet soda. <laughs> Sorry. What is okay. wrong? Yeah. This is our medical world. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. So back to being a kid, raised really religious home that just started the the disconnection to begin with. Um, and then let's go back to kind of being a kid. You mentioned at 17, some big stuff happened. What's happening between childhood 17? Yeah, so I left the um, LDS faith around the age of 13. Um, there was a lot of chaos going on in my home when kind of from the age of 13, really to until I moved out at 18 years old. Um, but at the particular age of 17, when I actively started, um, I guess, having my eating disorder, um, which at that time, it began with anorexia, shifted into bulimia. Um, and then after that, it just shifted into overworking out or laxatives or diet pills. Um, and at the age of 19, I did, I don't know if you remember that HCG, um, diet that was really popular where people were injecting the HCG hormone into their body, 
which is the hormone your body produces when you're pregnant. Mm. And that's what makes you burn like twice the amount of calories. So this HCG diet was, I literally was, and keep in mind, I was like 117 pounds when I signed up for this diet through a, again, a medical person. Whoa. And I was injecting needles of this hormone into my thigh every day and limited to a 500 calorie diet. 500 calories. Yes. So the idea was you're burning twice the amount of calories because of the hormone. And you're also limiting yourself to only 500 calories of consumption. How can anyone live off of 500 calories? I mean, that's what... (laughs) When I, when I've done so much retrospect on my history, it's like, that's why these things aren't sustainable. That's why anorexia turns into bulimia because at some point you're going to cave and you need to eat, but then that's going to be really uncomfortable because your body doesn't, um, know how to, it, it hurts, right? It hasn't had food in so long. So then you're like, oh, I should get rid of this. And then there's that, um, shame cycle within it. Like, Oh, I didn't stick to not eating. So now I got to like fix it this way. And then when those cancel themselves out and you realize it's not sustainable because you have a working life and this is a secret you're keeping from the world and you're still trying to appear put together and all of that, then you switch to these diet pills or these diet shots or overworking out. I mean, I remember eating like 500 calories a day and going to the gym twice a day. Wow. And, and what's still crazy about all of it is I never, I mean, I had moments probably where I looked generally thin, but like, I never was, I never reached my own personal goal of like, it it never was enough. I never was thin enough. I never was like, I did it. And I would look at these pictures of these super thin models, like Vogue models or like runway models, as I was holding myself to this standard. And even with all of that, that I just listed to you, still never reached it. Still never felt good enough. Did you have a weight goal in mind or was it all just a visual image in your mind of like, I will look like that runway model? It was, I think it was both. It was both. And, um, the, for sure, the weight goal, like I remember this was all around, think of the age, like probably 19 when I was doing those HCG shots, I was living with a boyfriend and our relationship wasn't going super well. And I just, I was fully immersed so heavily into this being my sense of control, my way to control my life, because my life around me um, fell out of control, which is a similar theme. Um, I guess going back to like me being 17 years old and this all starting when I look back at the times in my life where my eating disorder actions were the most active, they weren't in dormant, but I was actually like actively participating in these things usually was something outside of my life was out of control. And so it was my way to say like, well, I still have control on this. Yeah. I've heard that from, from many people with eating disorders. It's like, it really is. a it's the one thing you can control. 
Mm -hmm. the rest of your life is, is chaos. And so it sounds like, were you living with that boyfriend at the time or were you guys living separately? Yeah. So I was living with him at that time. And there was also the, I think to bring to surface as well is he was a more like petite framed man. So I think that, that idea of what we see is like, this is what a man is supposed to look like. And this is what a woman's supposed to look like. There was that constant, like, I cannot get any bigger than him, you know? So I think that also played its own pieces of like what we see projected at us in, again, like these models, we see actors, what's seen on TV, what's seen on The Bachelor and Bachelorette, like these ideas of what the idealistic man and woman is. And that was a lot of pressure to be um, with a man that was like generally really slim and naturally really fit and more petite. Yeah. Did he know what you were doing, that you were doing these, the HCG shots and going to the gym a ton and restricting calories? <laughs> so I think he knew at, it feels so long ago. I'm sure he knew to some degree. I mean, I know in our bathroom, I had pictures of um, like models, like runway models, like printed out. Mm-hmm. And I would have calendars of like what I weighed each day and charting and that sort of thing. Um, but being so young, I have like so much sweet self-compassion for like both of us and that relationship of like, I'm now so transparent in my romantic relationships and just like, so there's so much communication that goes on between us that I look back at that. I'm like, that's so interesting that I was dealing with like so much in my mind and my internals. And there was zero conversation with a partner about it mm-hmm. on either end. You know, he didn't say, oh, I'm worried about you. And I also wasn't like mentioning anything to him of, you know, is my body enough for you? Am I small enough for you? Even though you're smaller, do I, am I still feminine to you? You know, nothing because I didn't even know there was no knowledge of any of that. Interesting. So in your mind, in your mind at the time, when you say you weren't aware, you didn't know, like it hadn't registered to you that like, I might have a problem right now. This might not be healthy or sustainable. I think more when I think of what hadn't registered, because I knew there were that that's when it started clicking for me of like, there's something wrong. There's something I think it was like around the, again, the same year of like the shots. I knew the binge eating. It was almost like after the shots, because I think it was a three week diet. I remember my like binging and bulimia was so intense because my poor body for 21 days was so starved um, that I remember those binging nights being like, Cammie, this is, this isn't the life I want to live. Like this isn't even living. What, what am I doing? Um, consuming like probably thousands of calories within an hour and all your favorite treats and all your favorite things in one till you're literally so ill. Like that's not, it was such an emotional roller coaster. And that's why I say with pre-diabetes, an insulin roller coaster, of course. I think what I didn't have awareness around at all was feminine, like having a feminine body. And that that's, that that's actually okay. And that I actually now, 
as a 32 year old woman, like I love my feminine body. And that's what makes me different to a man is that I do have curves Mm -hmm. and like, I am able to carry a child and that my body is going to feel a little softer than his. It's going to be a little bit, there's going to be more like that percentage on my body than his. And now a place in my life where I'm embracing that versus like, that's what I wasn't even aware of back then is all I knew was like, Oh, photos tell me I should look quote smaller than you. Yeah. But that's it. That was the end of that thought. Photos tell me I should have like this completely flat six pack stomach. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With no fat around my womb. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then I think what's been in all my discovery with bodies and doing research and books is men are typically more attracted to when you get into the subconscious mind of a man, he is more attracted to a woman who is softer or curvier when an embodied man is looking at a woman because his instincts know she can carry a child. And that goes back to almost like animalistic instincts. Of, mm-hmm. And same thing, which is why probably as women, we might look to a man of like, oh, can this man like protect me or can he whatever? So you, when you get to those underlines, it's really fascinating because I think of if I was to be the body that's projected to me of this six pack and like no fat anywhere on my body, the chances of that body getting pregnant aren't nearly as um, common as a body that has a little bit more fat or a little bit more feminine. Yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting. This, this whole concept of like, quote unquote, animalistic desires. And I, I'm really open. I'm all like, if, you know, LGBTQ, whatever works for people, no judgment, like kind of just set that aside. And then this podcast talk about man with a penis, woman with a vagina. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like that's what this conversation is about. And, and just to make that clear of like, that is very animalistic. It's, it's part of our instincts as women those of us identify as women that want to have the man taking quote unquote, taking care of us, someone, mm-hmm. someone taking care of us, because that is what happened tribally. That is what has happened for millions of years is that we would have the babies and the man, we would need a man to protect us. If like there was war or issues going on and, and it was our instinct to, have babies and have men be attracted to the woman that can have a lots of his, what do they call it? (laughs) Seed. Yes. Yes. Multiply and replenish the earth. Totally. Like it's just very instinctual and I, and I understand, you know, so much is shifting, but it's been an interesting journey for me. I talked about this on a solo podcast. Um, I think I call, I think that episode I'll link it below is I think I titled it women weight and conditioning where I share a little bit of my story because I'm an athlete. I've always been skinny, but just because I've always been skinny doesn't mean that I haven't had body dysmorphia. Mm. It doesn't mean that I haven't had these like goals. And instead of the, you know, when I was younger, it was the runway women. And I would look at those magazines when I was in high school. And then when I transitioned and started to be more active in the outdoors, the new thing 
became about being like looking like an athlete. And those athletes are strong. They also don't have body fat. And so that became the new norm of like, well, I'm a skier, I'm a biker. I have to look really strong and like still having this goal in my mind, you know, and I would tell people the story and they look at me and they're like, but you're skinny. You know, it's like, that doesn't matter. And that's my message for so many people. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this a little bit before is like, anyone can have body dysmorphia, anorexia, binge eating, purging and be any size. Yes. (laughs) Any that's, I mean, thank you for sharing your, a snippet of your story. I would love to go catch up on that podcast of yours. Um, but it makes me think it's interesting how you still had the underlying of not enoughness. It just shifted of where you weren't enough. First it was runway model, then it was athlete. Um, and I've had the pleasure of working with, as a makeup artist, working with professional athletes, um, Olympic skiers, professional, like famous fitness trainers, and to hear their story of same thing. These people who are gold medalists, literally like what we, you know, what Sweet Leisha is probably like, this is what I want to be like. She has it all together. Well, that's what makes my story as a makeup artist and one that's been in this TV film industry is the people we idolize, the people we put on a pedestal literally don't, they still have the same issues that we do. And we are the ones watching them saying, but we want to be like them. Mm. And so recognizing that there is no end goal, like there is no end goal or almost like there is no end game. So just get out of the game. Mm. Like once I, I think that's why I think of embodiment is it's a personal, it's almost like a personal stepping into where we really know we are enough and we know where these stories come from, whether that's my life is out of control or, you know, what the outside world is projecting onto me or what my ancestors dealt with whatever it is, it's like visiting all of those stories, then recognizing my enoughness and then choosing to also have the freedom of feeling pleasure in my body when I'm in a Pilates class or when I'm out skiing or whatever it is and embracing that and realizing my body's actually my best friend. And I've just deemed it as my enemy my whole life. And then recognizing like, all I had to do was just stop playing the game. Like just take off the rose colored glasses and realize like it's it's all enough and it's all just waiting to be connected to like, and it's so juicy and potent when you actually do. Cause it's probably been waiting your whole life to like have that part of you turned on. Mm, mm, I love that. So well said. Well, I do want to hear about your, your journey from HCG shots to, <laughs> to now. <laughs> I, I, before we dive into that, I just want to do this touch point of like, I reflect back to my own journey and my own journey was mostly just some mild body dysmorphia and restrictive eating and the after effects that I feel like I'm paying for in my forties now. And also previously I've done, I've 
dove into this huge food thing this last year with a back injury and recognizing that as a child, I didn't have the foundational nutrition that I needed as a child and I'm paying for it now. And that my mom probably didn't have the foundational nutrition that she needed when she was pregnant with me. And that like all of her DNA and my grandma's eating disorder, like how our grandma's eating disorders affect our health today. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have, I have a thyroid thing. And what's been interesting this last year is I started eating differently to, to heal my back and I'm having effects of decreasing my thyroid meds because Mm, I was nutritionally depleted and I just didn't know it. (laughs) And I gained a little bit of weight and like, just has been on this whole journey. And I was telling a friend like, yeah, I've gained some weight, but I, I needed to. And because I just, again, being an athlete and I was mostly a vegan and transitioning to like, now I eat fat and now I eat, drink raw milk. And now I do all these things and, and how I'm actually coming into this place of like health and how I feel so much more sensual now Mm. because I have nourishment. Like I have I, I'm not in depletion and I didn't know I wasn't even in depletion until I'm in this, this space now. And it really has been about like taking off those rose colored glasses and just being like, well, I'm just, I need to make changes so that I can feel better and be more connected to my body and have more pleasure and be more sensual. And that's what we're here to, we're here to like be <laughs> in our bodies and like feel things. That is what to be. Absolutely. I think a couple of things come to mind when you use the word sensual. I like to specify um, with sensual to be sensual is essentially just using your senses, which we have what sight, smell, taste, touch. I think it's when you say being able to nourish our bodies think of all those cells. Like I like to like envision almost like the internals of my bodies and like all those cells that maybe didn't receive nourishment prior that do now that are actually able to enhance your senses, mm-hmm. you know? So it is all interconnected. We are meant to be in these bodies. Like that is why we are humans. If not, like we would just be like little buzzing balls of energy or goodness, robots and AI these days or something. Um, but they can't take away my, they can't take away my senses right. and my sensuality and our connection to our body. And I think it's such a crucial time to really remember that and to connect with our bodies because we are living in a time that is vastly changing when it comes to technology and what um, almost creepy powers are out there that are capable of doing things that we could have never imagined. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All of my <laughs> going down the AI rabbit hole right now. <laughs> I'm like, we'll just set that aside, but let's just remember that we have bodies and to honor that because that is what makes us really special. Yeah. And human. I'll have to send you a podcast I listened to yesterday 
they do kind of talk a lot about AI, not a lot, but they go into like the human journey and and why they think AI is happening. And, and I bring this up because it comes down to control. Mm-hmm. And it's like this thing around, around control and trying to control the planet and trying to control each other. And, and you brought that up. It's like when there's chaos, which we don't necessarily, we weren't conditioned or raised our generations, the generations before us, how to be with chaos and how to sit in discomfort. And so what we do is we then it's uncomfortable, it's horrible. So we disconnect and we try and control it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, this is a brand new thought in this moment, but it makes me think, um, where we touched a little bit on the LGBTQ community and um, feminine and masculine. And that also makes me think we haven't talked about this yet, but just where we are now in a place of more body positivity when it comes to models. And a lot of brands want to just have real people. They don't even want to hire actors. So I think within that shift of, which is such a beautiful shift, right? Where there isn't that control of like, there isn't the, um, what is it? The professional beauty qualifications, the PBQ when I apply for a job. Um, So those are levels of control that has been lost. So it almost makes me think then to bridge it back into AI. It's like, well, well now once we realize that we don't have to be a specific gender, we don't have to be a specific body size, beauty is in everyone, all of that. Well, then of course there has to be a level of control that comes back into us. And it makes me wonder if that's just this very small fraction of AI having some level of control, like you said, because we have lost the, you know, there's a certain level of control that's been lost upon us. I think the thing with somatics too, and this thing of control one thing I've recognized, I mean, I've been working with bodies for 15 years is when people are disconnected and I'm curious if this was your experience and they start to learn to connect to their body. It's almost like the disconnection is the control. And when we start to connect to our bodies, it's really uncomfortable and it feels really chaotic. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have full body chills. Like as you were asking me that question, cause I think it was like almost like a physical response where my body was like, Ooh, I remember those sticky times. I think in the beginning, it felt very out of control um, to bring awareness to my body. And I think the awareness to my body came in over a long period of time and in steps that, you know, I didn't know they were steps back then. And now looking back, I'm like, Oh, that was like a little bit closer, a little bit more understanding. Um, for example, when I was 25 was when I first read, um, a book called life without ed and ed stands for eating disorder. Um, and it's a really beautiful concept. Basically ed is this person that you divorce. So they almost like they 
describing an eating disorder in a relationship form, which is so profound and really helps you see it in a different light and disconnect from it um, in a healthy way. So that did a little bit of uncovering and then um, totally fell out of control in that moment. Oh my gosh. I remember actually while I was reading that book, I had, um, I was previously married and I was engaged to my ex-husband at the time, went up to Bear Lake. He has six gorgeous sisters. And I remember all of us being in swimsuits and it was like, I had just read this book, put all this light to like my internal issues, had zero support as far as like a therapist or anyone to talk to. And I just was like, remember feeling so out of control because then it was like, I knew everything in logistical terms of what I needed to do, what was going on, but like to actually execute that and to, yeah, it was really intense. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years, I was 27 when I first started going to, I was 27 when I started going to therapy to this new therapist and she specialized in eating disorders. And um, that again, did so much, added almost so much more chaos because then it brought even more like awareness to what I wasn't connected to or just brought things back to light. Because again, at 27, I wasn't really actively participating in my eating disorder. And I ironically just happened to get a therapist that specialized in eating disorders, but that's not why I went to therapy. I essentially went to therapy um, because I felt numb. I, I realized I was in a place in life where I normally have a brighter energy. I'm aware that I'm typically a pretty positive, like happy individual to be around. I'm expressive. And I started noticing, huh, I just feel flat. I'm not necessarily sad. I'm not happy. I'm just, I should go to therapy. And that's what actually guided me to that therapist, which I'm so grateful that serendipitously, it was an eating disorder therapist because she was able to, I think, help me connect deeper to my body with her background. And for me to really, that's when I was able to actually unpack oh, this is why I did what I did when I was a teenager. And so it wasn't till later I was actually able to piece all the pieces together of why I did what I did. Um, but to loop that back around to control, that still is like took years of learning how to control that. And I think still, I'm curious if you agree with this, Leisha, I think embodiment is again, there is no real arrival. So there's like consistently deeper levels we can go or like more things we can learn about our internal system or deeper sensations we can feel that there is probably, I think, always that little bit of almost like expansion and contraction where like you do a little dance where you're like, okay, I'm stretching myself a little bit further. It feels a little out of control, but I can still like keep this contained because I've done this dance before. And then I think we just step in deeper and deeper into what that looks like for each of us. Yeah, 
I, I would agree with you. And I would also say it depends on what's going on in my life. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. right now, um, I'm not super embodied. I'm not as like in my body as I normally am because January was a rough month and I'm not getting any sleep right now. Like I joke to my friends that I'm in a post, I'm going through postpartum right now <laughs> <laughs> as far as my sleep schedule goes. Cause I'm averaging like four hours a night and it's been that way since about like November. So it's like, I don't have the nervous system resiliency right now to really be as embodied as I normally am. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I recognize this. I know this and I'm being very clear with people. Like, I'm just like, don't have capacity. Don't have frontal brain function. Don't like <laughs> treat me like I'm in postpartum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think what's so beautiful about that is the, the conversation with yourself at that point of saying, hi, you, Leisha, I see you, sweet girl. Right now, we're not going to be able to connect as deep as we do when we get eight hours of sleep every night. And so like, thanks for still like showing up to the game today and that we can still do this thing. And that's what is so special. I think about being human and having a body and a mind and all these layers is we can decide, oh, right now I I just got a new job promotion. And for six months, we may not be able to do all of our routines and we may not be able to, um, you know, go have a cup of cacao with a girlfriend and really drop into what's present in our bodies for us or whatever that looks like for you. I think, but being able to just have that conversation with ourselves is so powerful. Yeah. And you also spoke to the layers and I agree. And this is actually, this is basic just to educate the audience nervous system education, I guess I'll call it, is our ability to feel what's going on internally is called interoception. And just, and where that happens in our brain is this very specific part of our brain. And so the more, just like how you ride a bike or you do a certain habit, the more that part of the brain that you use it, the more it grows. And so the more that you start to pay attention to your internal sensations and your interoception, the easier it gets. And then you can go in these layers and you can expand it and you can grow it so that, you know, at first when people are starting out and I was saying it's really uncomfortable for people when they first start out, they're like, oh my God, I'm feeling my body and it sucks. Like there's a reason why I disconnected. But the more that they start to pay attention and use that part of the brain it gets less uncomfortable and it gets easier and easier and easier (laughs) so much so that my current physical therapist I work with, she's great. Um, I see her about once a month for my back and I saw her this week and she was like, Leisha, you need to stop feeling your body. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, it's your superpower, but now it's not (laughs) (laughs) no more, no more. (laughs) You're feeling your back too much. So, because that's just a part of the muscle that I've grown for so many years. And 
So Mm -hmm. I think it's important just as people start to, there has been this really beautiful shift towards embodiment, somatics, healing through that way. And I always like to educate people that I'm glad that there's this, this transition and it's okay if you like, don't like it right now, or if that it's hard or that it's messy or it's uncomfortable, um, because it does get easier. And then you go through the layers and it just keeps getting more and more available to your body. Mm -hmm. And it takes, I mean, don't you think this is, it takes years to build up a type of awareness, like I was saying, and I think it consistently goes. So I love that you really emphasize the idea of compassion and it's okay if you don't, if it's uncomfortable or it's okay if you opt out. It's okay if you like, if your physical therapist is saying, stop filling your back, maybe just opt out, Leisha, for a moment. (laughs) And it's okay. That's, that's the wild part is I, um, in society, we don't, it's almost like we don't want to take the perfectionism from what was the beauty industry at one point and now put it into the nervous system or into somatics or this where now we have to perfectly be listening. You know, it's like we're just learning knowledge, but keep a loose, like a loose grip. We don't need to squeeze things so tightly. Mm, I love that you circled that back around because before you were, you were calling it like the enoughness wound. Mm. And so if you don't actually heal the enoughness wound, you can just go to the different places where you're not enough. And so you could come into somatics and you're not enough. Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. It's so true. It's so true. Mm. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit more you know, you, you talked a little bit about you had, you were with your boyfriend and you were really in the massive eating disorder at 25. You read a book at 27, you started seeing a therapist that really, really helped you. And at what point in there did you start working with the makeup industry? Um, so I have been in the makeup industry since I was 18. So, wow. This, yeah, I had, so I was, um, I worked in cosmetics with different brands, um, from the age of 16 up to 21. And then from the age 22 to current, I've been a full-time freelance makeup artist in the TV commercial photography world. So truly my entire, from 16 years on Wow. I've been exposed to, I mean, exposed, like it's like a germ, but I've, I've been a part of, you know, a very superficial, a very um, disembodied industry um, with outstanding ideas of beauty that are unattainable. Um, and I did want to touch as well, when you mentioned your grandma having an eating disorder, My mom has an eating disorder and has struggled with it off and on her whole life. And I was the only girl out of four kids. So I have three brothers. Um, But I remember 
growing up and noticing when my body started to get bigger than my mom's. I mean, we're talking when I was like in seventh grade, like a 12 or 13 year old, um, because my mom was so petite that then to see the way she spoke about herself and to hear it subconsciously or to, she, I remember she used to put on the fridge, like the weight she wanted to be. So I always saw like 102 pounds on the fridge or 105 pounds on the fridge. And so then when my body developed differently than hers, and I'm still a child, but getting bigger, how much I think that subconsciously had an impact on me, where if I was to ever become a mom, um, which one day I, I assume I will, I, I want to be really conscious of what environment I'm giving my child because I don't think we realize how much the outside picks up on what we're actually saying. And even though it has nothing to do with them, they're still taking a little bit of like, well, what's wrong with me? If you're bad mom, because you're too big right now, and I am bigger than you, then what is that saying? Yeah. Yeah. And the research is showing that eating disorders and children, you know, children going on diets, it's just getting younger and younger and younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't really know, you know, I don't really know exactly what, what my grandma was up to. I just know there was a ton of body dysmorphia and also a lot of focus on, um, on how we looked like it's, you know, just like lots of compliments around how we looked when, when we were kids. And like, I remember even being like 17, I was playing a lot of soccer and that's actually when I was restricting calories, uh, in high school. And, uh, I remember going over to my grandma's house and her just being complimenting my legs and not being able to stop talking about how beautiful my legs were. And so it was completely reinforcing high intensity exercise, uh, calorie restriction. Cause yeah. I was like, oh yeah, look, I look good. I'm fitting in. Like I'm the woman that trained models thinks I'm, my legs are beautiful and I could be a model, you know, it's yeah. like just that, that whole story. And <laughs> my sister has a story of my grandma would always ask her how much she would weigh. I'm glad I never had that question. Wow. wow. And then once she hit a hundred pounds, it was like, oh, oh my isn't that just I mean that's just wild wild yeah Um, and 100 pounds my sister was like I think I was in seventh grade you know yeah like and it's we're children at that point we are like sponges for anything we hear but we just subconsciously just embed this in the back of our brain so then fast forward five years down the road when we're going through something we're like well maybe if I get down to that 100 pounds grandma said my life will be better. That was like the golden marker. Like when you said your mom's goal was 102, I'm like, that really resonates of like, that was also, I think my grandma's era, maybe my mom's era as well. Probably same generation or close to. I'm like 102 pounds. I I (laughs) I weighed that in sixth grade. I know you would blow away (laughs) in the wind. Um, 
I also wanted to touch on, I'm so glad you brought it up of this idea where your grandma would compliment you and reinforce these unhealthy um, ways of fully disconnecting from your body, essentially. Um, Because that's something I've had a lot of reflection about of when I've been my thinnest or actively doing these things, which tends to mean, right, I'm out of control in my life or I'm um, maybe dealing with a breakup, which felt like an out of control, or I'm having a job shift or it's chaos at home, whatever these actually really sad things that are going on, then outwardly I appear, quote, more beautiful. So then when people compliment me, it like it's confusing because you're like, wait, but I want to receive love when I'm not in this state of like high chaos and pain. Like, so it's interesting that um, it's almost like I would get complimented when I was in my worst times, not when I was in my best times. Yeah. Um, And even this is kind of a newer reflection, but I was divorced a year and a half ago. And I remember after my divorce, I wasn't losing, like in all my previous breakups, I would get really thin after we would break up. It was like part of the, right. I can get back out there. I can get that attention. I can be enough, but because of all the, all the work I had done, I knew I was not going to disconnect. I wasn't going to go down that road again. I, I was quote smarter than that, if you want to say, or just like, I'm not going to add to more layers of healing that I already need to do. Um, and so that was a really beautiful test within myself to in a time of great loss and great grief to still feel like I was enough and to be able to almost like call my own bluff and be like, I know system and body, you want to get really thin right now. So you can get that outward validation, but that's false. Everything about that is going to be false. You're going to be disconnecting from your body And these strangers that are going to compliment your body, that's not the real love that you're looking for anyways. So like just pause. And, um, and so that, I guess, looking back, I'm just having this aha moment of like, wow, I'm really proud of myself. And that shows, um, I think how far I've come in my own journey of recognizing like in my deepest trauma thus far in life, I still was like, I don't, but I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to stay connected to you, even if it feels so out of control, then almost like even more so I should stay connected to you because I love you self. And right now you are out of control internally. So let's just like, stay more connected to you and keep an eye on you and be with you and like give you the love that you previously wanted when you were going through these things and didn't know how to give yourself. What a beautiful testament to all the healing work that you've done. Mm, Thank you so much. It's it's been a wild ride, (laughs) a wild ride. Um, And I want to say it'd be like one that's not for the faint of heart, but um, yeah, that's why I'm here sharing my story. I mean, I think really 
connecting back to my body plays such a big role in like healing all areas in my life. So not just the actual actions of an eating disorder, but just knowing how to give myself love and how to connect to that and how to then bring that in outwardly in my life where I show up different in relationship with others. And I show up different in my career and I show up different in a Pilates class. I love how much I brought up Pilates on this <laughs> podcast. I didn't know it was such a big part of my life, but I guess it is. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, you're in the makeup industry. You're with all these like really beautiful, skinny models, athletes, people, and by makeup industry, like I want to let our audience know, go check out Cami on Instagram. I'm not talking about like a makeup artist, like you're doing like movie productions, like big stuff. Like you're big time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Leisha. Um, but did that reinforce a lot of the eating disorder, like body dysmorphia and disconnection from your body? Or were you able to keep it separate of like, this is work. This is my life. Oh, it completely reinforces all of my, and still to this day, like um, two days ago, I was working on a hot tub um, brand shoot. Um, So we have people in swimsuits, like a family in swimsuits. And yes, two days ago, even though I've told you my entire healing story, I'm here to tell all of you, you're still not, you're not magically like, oh, I have, I'm completely healed. Nothing can like ever get into me again. I still am like, Oh, when the model talks about the diet she's doing, I'm like, should I, you know, there's a little voice like, should I go on a diet again? Or when I see the, how the model looks in a swimsuit, Oh, should I, you know? So that's what I find so interesting about the um, industry I work in is I don't know if it's, a good thing because it constantly keeps me on my toes of like where my head is at and where my thoughts are at. Um, but yeah, it definitely, I have better days than some. And I think like a hot tub shoot definitely is like, it's not every day that I'm working with models that are actually in swimsuits. Mm -hmm. So it's not every day that it's that triggering. And, um, I think when I'm working in New York and working with like these foreign gorgeous runway models, that's very easy for me to be like, this is my life and this is their life because it's like, she's six feet tall. She's from Russia, has this gorgeous accent and these features that are just like incredible. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm here five, four from Utah. I'll stay in my lane. And you're here, you know, so that I'm like, I'm going to eat my lunch. Thank you and enjoy it. And I don't think twice about it. But I think when it comes to more like real life commercial models Mm -hmm. um, and less like runway E, then I can start kind of comparing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, be human, right? Like who... And I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation and that I find so interesting in your line of work and your story is like, there is such a universal conditioning of beauty and how women need to look. And in their book, Emily Nagowski and her sister, I blank her sister's name, but burnout 
they actually coin it something and I'm blanking the name. Um, it's called like bikini. I don't know. Basically that there is this unrealistic ideal how women are supposed to look. And it's actually leading to us burning out as women because that's creating stress in our system as if mm. we're constantly inundated with how we're mm-hmm. supposed to look and that's running in the subconscious and, and it's stressing us out and burning us out as women. Yeah. And it's not, um, it's, it's not sustainable, right. If it's burning us out and there's a really incredible book called, um, the beauty myth by Naomi Wolf. And it's a little, I'll warn you, it's a little outdated. I think maybe it was written 12 ish years ago. Um, but she talks a lot about kind of what we were saying with like the sixties and this idea of beauty. And then she bridges in like the patriarchy and how, if the patriarchy can keep women busy doing so, like we still work an eight hour shift. We still have to perform like a man does, but also you need to go to the gym and you need to eat this diet food and you need to, you know, work on these restricted calories. Then it does keep us at a less um, competitive level Mm. to the men. Right. And Mm. I think I do want to specify a lot where this book is older. That's why I say it's a little outdated and I'm gentle with terms because I think that's a very black and white way of thinking. And I don't think every man felt that way or every woman did that, but just knowing that that happened often and it's still something when you refer to burnout, it's still something that happens today. Yeah. And just the pressures of all the pressures that we're held at now of like, we need to be successful in work. And we need to have a successful, um, you know, look successful, eat clean, have a successful blog, have a successful, like all the list just goes on and on these days of like what it looks like to be successful mm-hmm. that like, we're only led to burn out really, if we're really sticking to that perfectionist, like what this outward world says we should be. Yeah. You actually asked that on your Instagram not too long ago for people to share what success is like to them. Mm-hmm. What did you glean yeah. from that? <laughs> it's. I was thinking actually about this post before you said it. So that's funny because I remember your response um, was, I think, healthy relationships and a regulated nervous system. And I was like, yes, Leisha, yes, that is <laughs> such a yummy answer. Um, but it was interesting getting different people's responses, but majority of them, I think were, um, successes tied back to resiliency and what that looks like. And like knowing that we each go through our individual challenges and how we overcame them and that our life actually doesn't look and isn't, wasn't ever meant to look perfect. Wasn't ever meant to be cookie cutter. Um, that we all have our own little story. That's all like, I think of like the squiggly line where it's like success doesn't look like a straight line. And it's like all these squiggles or healing or whatever the, you know, quote um, is referring to. And I think it's so true because we all have our own little chaotic story, but I think how we come out of it and how we move forward is when we know we're living a successful life. 
Beautiful. And I love that your audience, it's something I sit with a lot when I named this podcast was like nurturing resilience. And at one point I was like, should I change the name of this podcast? Because no one knows what resiliency is. And because it's more of like a quote unquote medical term, it's like what's mm. used among therapists. And, um, but I love that you like, I'm finding that more and more people are tuning to what resiliency is, what it means, how important it is, um, what helps us be resilient. And I'm curious for you, like what has helped foster your resiliency in all of this, like in this eating disorder story to where you are now? Mm, um, for me now, where I can connect to my body and all my senses, like I was referring to earlier and let that make normal quote, normal things in my life, more exciting or where I'm more in touch with that experience. Um, it's made me more resilient because it's almost like now I have a blueprint of how my life is moving forward. Like instead of going like, um, I don't know, do I go down this path or this path? Or do I, do I need to get sleep or do I need to get exercise or do I need to get greens or get protein or whatever, whatever this, this question is that we are constantly asking ourselves. Um, I think when we can really be associated with our bodies we kind of know what we, I mean, I think that's where then you can think of it as another layer to intuition or almost like a sixth sense, or um, I think there's a lot of self-trust built within that as well, um, which I think comes along with healing. Like when we can heal those stories of where these things came from, look at all that, we kind of build trust within ourselves because we're really turning over all the rocks and, and actually looking at all the stories. So then I think we're finally able to build that trust because we're not shaming or shunning away the parts of ourselves that we did for so long. I love that answer. Thank you. Um, I think I just want to ask one more question for the, and this is more for the audience. And then we can talk about how people can work with you in your store, like where you are today. I want to know if someone is listening to this podcast and they're really disconnected from their body and they don't know the next step, but what you've said today, or maybe something pinged them or they had a moment of chills, like what piece of advice would you give someone who's just starting out on their own embodiment journey? like? what would you tell someone who's interested in becoming more connected to their body to do? You know, Alicia, when you ask that, it's such a difficult answer for me to give just one answer because I'm like, oh my goodness, all of the tools and techniques and how it's been such a long unraveling for me. Um, but two things come to mind that I want to bring light to is one, um, like eye gazing with yourself in the mirror um, has been really powerful for me to 
connect deeper and get to a different layer of vulnerability. Um, and for listeners who don't know what that is, um, I mean, you can even Google like eye gazing in the mirror and there can be some steps to follow, but just being able to pause and stare into my own eyes for three, five minutes and just let whatever is coming up come through. I think that's a really powerful way for me to always kind of ground into myself. Um, that comes to mind. And the other um, thing that was really powerful for me was when I was 30. So later in my journey, I did a class called S Factor. Um, and they, I'm not, I think they still have classes in Los Angeles, but it's, it's not a super easy class to find, but I think you could find um, general things online or like what it's about, but it basically was this dance class where there was no mirrors and it was in kind of a red dim lit lighting and it was just women and had really um, some sensual music, but just like music that really amped up your body in some way, whether that meant it was really slow or really fast or sexy or like had attitude. Um, but that class was so powerful because what I learned was not having a mirror and then having to dance and you wore heels in that class. So you're trying to balance. You can't see yourself. And there was a poll. I would say only maybe 20% of the class was done on the poll. Um, but still, you're like in this place where you realize without a mirror, I have to kind of connect to my core when I'm walking in these heels because it's going to hold me up. Or when the teacher says, do this, I can't look in the mirror to see if I'm doing it right. I have to feel. Am I, you know, when, when she would do the choreography. And so that was a really powerful class. Of, there was kind of a, a switch that flipped on. I remember maybe my fourth class there where something just like flipped on and it's never turned off to this day. Like there was something that clicked even deeper where I think at that point I had already kind of uncovered a lot of my stories, put verbiage to it, um, done a lot of healing, but then to like have a moment where I dropped in even deeper and just let, it was almost like I was completely out of my mind and only in my own body, but just with myself dancing and like eyes closed and just in it, it was like, oh my gosh, this is the body that I've been disassociating with. And I can get this high anytime I want, like that this body is actually my best friend and like feels so good and yummy when I actually just like take a deep enough breath and just sit with her long enough. Wow. Thank you for sharing both of those. That's, that's really beautiful. It's reflecting back for me. Uh, I got really sick in 2014, like the end of 2014 through 2015. But when I was in my peak of illness and nothing was wrong with me, uh, the only thing wrong was my white blood cell count was really high and my spleen was enlarged, but I, like all my blood tests were normal and the doctors were like, well, we don't know, like you're just really sick. And I was really sick. 
I was lying on the couch one day crying because I just was like so sick and I had started my healing journey and started connecting with my body at that point, but I was still really working at the hospital, still really immersed in the medical world. Um, I was learning cranial sacral at the time and I just put my hands on my belly and took a deep, couple deep breaths. And I said, okay, I'm just going to take a moment and imagine if there was like a, a warrior princess or like, I think Xena, is her name Xena? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Xena. <laughs> I was on television at the time and was like a big deal. I was like, if there was a miniature version of me that could go inside my body and be like this warrior to fight this whatever disease or illness, I was like, where, where in my body would she go? Um, and I think the first place just intuitively, it just started to hear like, you need to go to the lungs, like go to the lungs. And so I imagined this warrior me in my lungs and I was like, okay, she's in the lungs. What do, what do my lungs need? Um, and it was like, oh, well, your lungs are full of cobwebs and she needs to take her sword and clear out all the cobwebs. So I spent like a half an hour just visualizing her cleaning up my cobwebs. And then we, I think we went to like my kidneys and she had to light candles in my kidneys. And I started doing that every day. And, um, there were some other things. I started some herbs at that time as well. I worked with a cranial sacral therapist out of Seattle. That's when I started to get better. Wow. That's when there started to be this switch. And I just remember like, Oh my God, I can talk to, I can talk to my body. (laughs) Yes. And she actually guides you and she guides me and she tells me what to do. And she tells me what she needs. If I'm willing to come with just like an open hand and curiosity and no judgment, my body will tell me exactly what she needs. Mm -hmm. And it can sound crazy, right? Like a warrior, mini warrior. (laughs) No, but if any, I'm I am following you 100% and think it's so beautiful. And I've had so many similar like internal visual stories. And I think it is that conversation of telling your inner critic, okay, sit down. Maybe all the medical advice I've heard. Okay. We're going to just set you aside. You might be valid. You might not. And just like, what do you have to say to me body and just see what happens. Um, And the eye gazing, I think that's why I bring up the eye gazing is I think if we've never spoken to our bodies in that way, there is a level of um, vulnerability that's created where we don't need to have at that point, we don't need to have words. We just get to just stare into our eyes for three to five minutes and take and just breathe. And that's all. And I think it builds it's starting to slowly build trust or like a conversation that you could have maybe in the future. And so that's why I say even starting there could be good because it's, it is going to be vulnerable and it's going to feel weird and it's going to feel stretchy and it's going to feel uncomfortable and you might get emotional or you might start laughing or you might hate it, (laughs) whatever it is. Um, but I think starting there, then you can really get to those places of seeing a warrior in your body. Mm-hmm. And 
I love that. That's when you started to get better. It makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My body was just asking for some connection Mm -hmm. for sure, which I love that with the eye contact. Reflecting back on this conversation, anything else you want to share? Anything that you feel like is important? Anything we've missed? Um, Yes, Leisha. I think the last thing I want to touch on is it makes me think of a poem that I wrote um, a couple years ago. And I thought of this poem earlier in our conversation when we were talking about how beautiful it is to be a human and that we are in these bodies and we have these bodies and we're not just either AI or fears of energy. Um, So I would love to share this poem with you. Does that sound good? Oh my God. I'd love that. What a fun way to end a podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So this is titled earth body. These bodies, machines of sorts, the way hot breath travels from the lungs and out our wet mouths, mouths made to make sound and noise, mouths made to sing and to chant. Our bodies, these human earthly bodies have ears where we can deeply connect with the earth, our current home, the way we intently listen to the elements, the water that sprays off of the falls, followed by the misty sensation that travels into our drum. Bodies are designed to create love, designed to be pressed against one another, intertwining the legs like pairs of long stilts hung on a vine. The way our arms stretch out like wings, the way our fingers dance with another hand, the way the muscles stretch like a cord when we find ourselves in deep relaxation, occurring when there is a deep sense of trust. Imagine the body draped in satin and sashes, you watching the way the shadow of the hip dances through the silk. Our body is a playground, didn't you know? What were we before this earthly dimension? Can we meet the parts of ourselves that want to be met? Can we introduce the soul to the body and see the truest value in both, divine dualism? Can we remember the lights that glow from within, the lights we came here with? We have forever to be an angel, but we have only right now to be a body, an earthly body. Fear lives within our bodies, but isn't our body. But we have this vessel to process it, like visiting the cauldron of hot lava that churns within our physical stomach? And can we nurture those thick boiling bubbles, watch the lava settle, form and dissolve like fertilizing ash, feeding the entire garden that lives below? Can we visit our physical bellies with the touch of our graceful hands and infuse our holy epidermis epidermis with motherly love? Do you remember arriving as one, the way it felt as a child, to have your body and spirit harmoniously coexisting, harmoniously leaning on one another. Neither was shunned, nothing separated. Can we shift our self-body talk to melodies that sing of deep friendship? Can we honor each and every cell and remember size was something man created? We came to this earth whole and enough. Ought we live and leave in the same manner? Wow. Mm, thank you. That's really beautiful. Mm. Which, 
Which uh, leads us to kind of your your next endeavor in life. Um, you write poetry. <laughs> I am a writer and I am publishing a book this year. I'm still an active makeup artist and love that, but it feels really great to um, be expanding in, in different ways. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you for, again, thanks for reading that on here. And we'll just close with how can people find you or if people want to connect more with your writing or with your makeup, how do they do that? Yeah. So um, my website is just cammyandtalbot.com, which it will be down in the show notes. Um, my Instagram handle is the same at cammyandtalbot. Um, and then there will soon be launched a separate Instagram handle with uh, more of my writings that you can find in my um, bio on the original Instagram account. And you can keep a lookout for that book that should be out later this year, probably in the summertime um, is when I'll release it. And then I also do public speaking. So if there's, um, you know, whether it's a women's circle or a group of teenagers or whatever speaks to you um, as the listener, I also would love to share my story. Mm, I'm just thinking how profound it would for teenagers to hear your story. Just like if I had someone come talk to me at that time when I was so confused about bodies, <laughs> what a, what a life changer that would have been for me. So that's, that's really beautiful. And I'm so excited for your book. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited. It has been a long time coming, kind of like when we ran into each other a year ago and I said, no, not yet. It's been like, I've had to be really honest and patient with myself and say, okay, not yet, not yet. And, um, and now I'm in a place where it feels more alive and, and I'm ready to put energy towards that. Fun. And I will put your new handle in the show notes as well. And, um, if you guys aren't following Cammy on Instagram, your account is really fun because in your stories, you show little images of like your modeling shoots and what you're doing and you in New York. And it's just fun for me. Maybe it's like that connection to like creates this little connection to my grandma as well, but it's just mm, fun. I, I love, love that. I love watching your story. Everything <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm so glad it's definitely a unique industry. Um, to be a part of. And I think social media, like all of us, I think it's hard to keep up on, but I do know I'm like, no, my audience and my friends and my family and everyone, no, they want to like, they genuinely enjoy seeing a peek into a side of um, life that I don't think is as commonly seen as others. And um, so I'm glad you enjoy it, Lisha. <laughs> All right, love. Thank you so, so much. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your story, especially such a vulnerable story and sharing your poetry and your insights. It's, it's just really been a pleasure today. Thank you so much for having me and creating such a space and just having a platform to share these stories to help impact and change the world and have resiliency for all of us.
Rose episode today. Thank you so much for joining me. If you'd like to stay informed of when these episodes are released, you can follow me on Substack, which is linked below, and I will see you guys in two weeks. Have a beautiful day.